we're going to continue in this series where we're going through Mark, and ah, it's been good. We're only into chapter two, which is awesome. Uh, we take it a piece at a time, and I'm excited to um, expand last week's passage because last week's passage, we got into the guys, the four friends, the four nameless friends, rip the roof off, get their friend healed. Jesus is like, you guys have this energy that is amazing. I'm all about this. Let's keep this going. Heals the paralyzed friend. And then here we get into this discussion where the Pharisees, the teachers of the law at that time, the religious leaders, you could say the pastors maybe, um, the uber-religious folk are watching this and they're like, whoa, you can't do that. What's up with that? So that's what we're going to read right now. Um, so really, this is like a, a two-part mini-series within a series, okay? So um, we're, we called this series Walk With Me, and the reason we did this is because we're, we're walking through uh, what it looks like to journey with Jesus, um, because we recently we went through this whole thing with Peter and what his relationship was like with Jesus. And so now we're looking at Jesus and really what Peter was learning, right? Um, and really the invitation as a Christian is to walk with Jesus. Like literally that we get to do this 2,000 years later, the same exact thing. We get to walk with him. He, that's the invitation. It's not an invitation to say a prayer to get to heaven at some point. It's a journey. It's like walk with Jesus, watch how he does things. And that's why we're reading through it and then do it ourselves, right? So we, we get to walk with him and, and journey through it and hopefully not just walk, but begin to do the same things he does as he walks because that's what a, a good disciple does when they follow their rabbi. So we're going to read this. We're going to talk about vision and then we're going to talk about 10,000 volts and what that translates into in the human body. And then we'll, have, we'll close with a prayer, all right? So that's where we're going, just so you know, the trajectory of what's happening right now. Okay, Starting off, are the verses, yeah, they're going to be there. Cool. Um, immediately, so this is obviously, I just kind of set it up. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit <clears throat> that this was what they were thinking in their hearts and said to them, why are you thinking these things? I like that. That's like a good question that we should always ask ourselves. Why are you thinking these things? Like, what's up with that? Why are you thinking the way that you're thinking? Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority, that's a word to underline, highlight, circle, um, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all, and this amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. This ripped our faces off. This is amazing. So, what you see here is the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they're sitting in there, and in the few verses before that, which I didn't throw in there, it says, why is he doing this? Like, he's blaspheming, basically. Like, why is Jesus claiming that he can forgive the man's sins versus just heal the guy. Like, he's going at something deeper here that we're not okay with and call him out, basically. And so Jesus is like, I see what you're thinking. I see where you're going with this. Let me explain. And he explains in this idea of authority, that Jesus comes in with authority, and that may be something you've heard of before, maybe something that um, 
you're familiar with being around the church, that authority has to do with the ability. Can you turn me down a little? It's like ringing. Um, the authority to perform the thing that you claim to do, right? Um, police officers have authority, um, and they can do certain things um, because of the role that they are in. Jesus has this authority to heal, but he has this authority that goes beyond just healing. And so what I want to look at here is this idea that the spiritual, like our walk with Christ, the spiritual walk is not just a spiritual, or not just a physical walk, but it's also a spiritual walk. And sometimes we emphasize the physical over the spiritual. So I know that's kind of like big, big kind of concepts, but we'll, we're going to unpack it. We're going to dig into it. So the Pharisees, the scribes, the, uh, the teachers of the law, they had a common phrase I'm going to throw up here that would have shaped this conversation, that everybody would have understood at that time. And ra- the rabbis had a saying that said, there is no sick man healed of his sickness until all his sins have been forgiven him. Okay? So this is the mindset that people would have had going into this, this scenario where this man is healed by Jesus. They would have thought, he must have done some sort of sin. There had to have been sin going on. In order for him to be healed, the sin has to be removed. Or the sin caused the problem that he is in currently. What Jesus does is he gets at the core of it, right? He doesn't just heal the man. He forgives him of his sins. And that's what gets them frustrated. That's what gets them all fired up. They're like, Wait, you're getting at the core issue. Nobody gets the core issue except for God, right? And so what Jesus does is really demonstrate his authority in that situation by showing even the teachers of the law at that time that would have been familiar with what it means to have a very, I guess, physical faith rather than a spiritual faith um, and begin to push back on it. And so religious leaders of that day would have emphasized physical actions over everything, right? The temple is everything. You go, you bring ritual, you bring offering, you go and do everything religious there, and it's all physical there in that place. What Jesus does is he removes it from the building and begins to do these spiritual, amazing, beautiful, life-giving things outside of the temple. And I know that's like, that may not seem like a big thing, but it's really like, this is like expanding their idea of what God can do. And I think that's sometimes what we need is that reminder of like what God can do, that God doesn't just work in certain places, that he works all over the place and not just through these physical actions like going to the temple, bringing offering and dealing with those things. But it's very contrasting to how Jesus approaches it, where Jesus says, I care more about the heart of things than I do the ritual, the outward expression of what that looks like, right? You hear that over and over. He says, like, the, out of the mouth speaks the overflow of the heart. Maybe it's a passage you're familiar with. Um, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy later on in Mark. We're going to get into it. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Um, this is one of the things that Jesus centers around continually. It's called Shema. It would have been this prayer that that culture would have been very familiar with. Um, a very... Uh, ritualistic prayer that originally had meaning, but then became this rote prayer that was prayed every day, like five times a day kind of thing. And here's how it goes. This is the most important thing, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. 
And then he goes on into the second part. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. So he starts out with the heart, and then he moves into the outward actions of loving your neighbor. So he starts out with the spiritual and then moves into the physical. So this is, these are the two things I want to hit on like this morning, is really focusing on the physical and the spiritual side of our faith and who we are. Jesus says it all starts with the spiritual. It has to start with the heart. It has to start with dealing with the sin issue in our heart. And until that's gone, nothing else really matters, right? And so, um, so we're going to continue to unpack that. So this conversation about the physical versus the spiritual is really what unfolds here between Jesus and these teachers of the law. Um, this is a conversation that, like, if you want to really sum it up, you can go to James. We talked about this a few months back, um, where James really unpacks it and it just says, here in James chapter 2, he says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but no deeds, right? Can such a faith save him? So, like, can you live this out without, like, having something really happen in you without, like, tangibly living it? Um, he says, Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food. If one of you tells them, go in peace, stay warm and well-fed, peace out, but does not provide for his physical needs, what good is that? So too, faith by itself, if it does not result in action, is dead, right? So I want to clear that up real quick. Like, I'm not trying to separate faith, like the spirituality of who we are, our inward spirituality versus the outward actions. Those are always connected. But what I want to talk about is the starting point. I believe the starting point is, because he says it there in the end of James in that little verse, he says, so too, faith by itself, so inward spirituality by itself, does not result in action. If it does not result in action, is dead. So it has to start with this inward process of something being transformed to then moving outward into the actions that we live into. And that's what Jesus does here. He says, I'm going to forgive you of your sins. And that's why when you read it, if you're new to this passage or like, I remember the first time I read this, I was like, what, what does sin have to do with healing? Like, why is that like? But he's, what he's doing is he's getting at the heart of the issue. He could have dealt with his sin and left him paralyzed, and that would have been fine. I know it's going to sound weird, but we're going to unpack that a little more here in a second. The healing is just to demonstrate the authority, the power of who God is, Right? It's an awesome part of what he does. It's beautiful. It's amazing. There's transformation that happens physically, but spiritually is what really matters, is what really is going to transform this guy's life. And that's what gets these people fired up because they're like, you can't do that. There's no way. Like only God does this, but we see God at work, right? This is Jesus, flesh and blood. This is God, son of God, making it happen. So, Faith by it in itself um, is, is meant to start spiritually inside of us and then work out of us into the lives of others. Um, so let's focus on how this begins to take place. Um, one of the ways that I've seen this fleshed out, um, I've talked about this before, is um, our ministry in Haiti and how that begins to uh, shape how we do ministry because there's been a lot of insights that we've had as we've been serving in Haiti, um, serving with our brother Tim, who's um, just 
does an amazing job of like just trying to like really invest in this community, and many of you have been a part of that. Um, but one of the the biggest conversations that have come out of serving an impoverished area um, is: Do you meet the physical need, or do you meet the spiritual need? Right. And that's kind of the core of this passage. And so I want to like, talk about that for a second. That like, as we've gone in there, there's always going to be this tension of like, do you feed people? Do you clothe people? Do you shelter people? What would you say? Yeah, that's an obvious one, right? Like, yeah, we should be, f- if someone's starving, do they hear the gospel? No. If someone's thirsty, like give them some water, then you talk about the gospel. The tension that lies there is like, at what point is enough? At what point is what you're doing physically enough? And at what point does the spiritual enter in? Or are they combined? I'm just asking questions. I want you to wrestle through this. I'm not giving you answers right now, yet. (laughs) Um, There has to be this this connection between the two. Is it enough just to go and give people food, water, shelter? If we don't teach about the source of the abundant life that exists in Jesus, we don't actually believe that really what he's doing can transform someone's situation. Right? That if we're only going to bring food, water, shelter we ultimately don't believe that what Jesus is bringing and the teaching that Jesus has will ultimately transform someone's situation for good, not just temporarily, right? So that's why I dropped the James verse so you guys know that I'm all about, like, we should bring food, shelter, water. Like, those things have to happen. Those have to be expressions of our faith. But let's start at this point of, is that enough? Would that be enough? Is it enough just to love someone? I don't know. The friends of the paralyzed man that we talked about last week did everything in their power to physically bring their friend to Jesus. Healing took place, which is awesome. It came because of some inward seed that was planted in their hearts that said, Jesus is what we need to do. They didn't say, let's get him a doctor. They didn't say, let's bring him to some place where he can now have ability to move and do things. They said, no, Jesus is the thing that will transform, the person that will transform his life. And so in their hearts, there was a faith, there was a spirituality that took place that had a trust in Jesus that believes that he can really transform a life. And I think sometimes, I know that I'm guilty of it, and Matt hit on it with believing that Jesus is enough, but then when we get into real life, don't actually live that Jesus is enough, right? That we go, Jesus is enough, you're more than enough, and it's like, yeah, but I still got to go do these other things and physically take care of life and physically take care of what I see around me, rather than saying, let's start with Jesus, and if Jesus says, yeah, we need to be feeding these people, then yes. But if I'm just feeding people because I'm just feeding people, then it's missing the point of like, Jesus has called me to feed people, Jesus has called me to have this heart for humanity, for people around me. And I believe that that has a long-term impact, right? It's not just a temporary thing. It's not like you're going to continually, like, it's the idea of, like, teaching a man to fish versus handing him a fish. 
There's a long-term impact that happens when you begin to bring Jesus into the situation versus just a loaf of bread. And I know that's really hard to separate. I know that's really hard to distinguish, and it's very nuanced. But I believe that that nuance is key because if we operate out of that strength, it'll have power. And that's what Jesus is modeling right here. And the people, their response is like, we've never seen something like this. It's crazy. So the Pharisees, they critique him. They're just like, what's up with this guy's authority? He thinks he can do this kind of stuff and, um, and forgive sins rather than just healing people. Like, that we don't understand the connection there. And I believe that as they're trying to poke holes in Jesus' theology, um, Jesus just claims it and people see it and they're like, yeah, that's real. They see the truth in the situation and the honesty and they go, yeah, that's real. Um, it can be easy for us, I think, at times to poke holes in theology and how things work, but what Jesus does there is he's just like, no, oh, I'll heal, I'm going to forgive sins, and that's what we're going to talk about is the core issue, and then we're going to move on. And that's what you see um, the disciples starting to learn. They're like, it's about the gospel. It's about bringing people to Jesus, and that is core to everything. Um, their critique of authority, I think, plays a big role in not understanding a clear vision of who Jesus is. Um, that person that was healed, I think he understood because his sins were forgiven. I think he understood a clear vision of what Jesus was doing. The Pharisees didn't understand because they were so caught up in their own agenda of trying to physically say, like, no, you need to come to the temple. Religious actions and everything happen in this location, and you need to be there in order for things to happen the way that God wants to work. And it's like, no, that's not how God works. God works outside the building now. God works in ways that you don't even understand um, and gets at the core of the issue, which is our heart. But I think what has to be addressed is this idea of vision. Um, and, and this is one of the things that um, I've another Dallas Willardism that I've learned over the years hanging out with Tim Hickson and just having this conversation about like, how do you really get at the core of our spirituality and the motivation of how we live? And the vision that the Pharisees had and the, these, uh, these religious leaders at the time was very dim, very diminished, very limited. Um, and when our vision is limited, the way that we live, the way that we operate, the things that we do become limited as well. And so what do I mean by that? Um, so there's this thing called VIM. It's vision, intention, and means. And when we have vision and we understand why we're doing what we're doing, we understand our motivation. It starts from the inward, the heart. It begins to transform how we do things. And so let me explain using my own life and my pathetic um, ability to work out. Um, to, uh, to describe this. So um, I always want to work out. I have intentions of working out. I have means of a working out. I have a medicine ball at home that Katie got me for Christmas, I think last year. And I used it initially one time and then I haven't used it since. It's been sitting on the floor just as like a giant weight. I have a jump rope that I hope to use at some point. Um, and, um, and so the means are all there. The intention of working out is there. Like, I really want to. I definitely have the desire. I know that my lungs need it because I worked out this week with Chris and my lungs were burning because I just haven't been working out at all. And, um, and so 
the intention and the means are fully there. All the resources are there, like it's all there, but I just don't do it. This week, Chris and I worked out together um, because I was like, hey, I got some time while my kids are at lacrosse. We can meet at the park and let's work out. And he's like, all right, I'll bring stuff and we'll, let's go do it. Let's charge it. And we went there. We didn't bring anything, but we had the hardest workout I've ever had because he's like, you don't need stuff to work out. There's a park bench right here and we can do push-ups. And I was like, awesome, let's do it. And we ran and my body's just now recovering like four days later from the whole thing. So, um, so the intention and the means were now being fed by the vision. Like the vision for me was like, I want to get healthy and I want to start to get to where I can dive deeper. I can not feel my lungs burn when I actually run for like half a mile. Um, and, and I just like... I want to live longer. I want to be healthy. Like, I feel myself, like, getting slowly more and more tired. Like, I just, like, at 8 o'clock, I'm like, I could go to sleep right now. And I was like, I used to not be that way. (laughs) Um, And I was like, I need to start working out. I need to get more energy, and I need to get that back. And so the vision now drives the intention and the means. Because I have a vision for it, like, I'm going to start doing things. I'm actually going to start using those things that need to be put to use. Um, Who knows? Maybe the vision starts to fall away again, and I go back to being like, I'm pathetic. And I'm just not going to do this. I'm not going to work out this week. And hopefully Chris will be there and be like, hey, let's go. Um, Thursday, it's on. Um, but, uh, and that's another reason why we need community. We need other people to help us. Sometimes we need our vision expanded again. Um, we be reminded of it. But vision begins to drive everything. And if we have a vision, that's literally that's starting with the heart, a vision of what Jesus can do, I think that transforms our lives. Um, And that's what Jesus is doing there. He changed the Pharisees' vision of how God works. Now, what's going to happen beyond that, who knows? They could just see that and go, yeah, that's cool, but we're still going to do our own thing. Or they could see it the way the audience saw it and said, we have never seen anything like this. We're going to live into it, and we're going to go for it. So I think until we understand and have that vision, like it's just... There's not going to be a lot of motivation. Like, we can have all the means. We can have all the Bibles in the world. We can have all the food in the world and never give it out and never actually share things with other people because we haven't had the vision of really what God's doing. So um, I think when we begin to marry the physical actions of our lives to our faith, that begins to transform things. Um, the, and I think it can also be to our detriment. Um, like, so for me... Um, pain, back pain. I've had back pain for a really long time. I think sometimes when my spirituality and my physical life are tied so close together, my my back pain ends up impacting my spirituality. That then I'm like, God, why am I in this pain? Like, why am I limited in what I can do? Why am I physically like, I just don't feel good? Ever been there before? Then that's impacting my spirituality, my inward spirituality, my faith, which is unhealthy. And I think the thing that I'm trying to, to do here is recognize how physically and spiritually they can, be, they can be impacted, but it has to start with the spiritual. It has to start with that, because when the physical goes away, then that'll somehow impact our spirituality, and then we lose our faith, and we lose the motive, and we lose the whole ability to then move out into the actions that we ultimately want to do. So, Again, that's where the vision comes in, like understanding who Jesus is and what he's capable of. And I want to do that, um, I want to, I guess, describe that using um, 
a guy's life, this guy, Matt Manzari, I've, I've shared stories about his life before. He's a good buddy of my, uh, my buddy Jason's. Um, they're really good friends. He's a professional wake skater. And, um, and I want to share his story because I think his story really helps us understand the physical and the spiritual and how those impact each other um, and how they begin to inform each other. But then really it has to start with the spiritual side. And so here he's going to share his story. And if you visually don't want to see some really gruesome stuff, just look down and just listen to his story um, because he'll show a picture of himself in a second. But um, he's going to describe how he got into this physical situation um, right in the midst of going to, uh, like he's trying to finish up basically his life of professional wake skating and move into full-time ministry. So he's going to seminary at this time, and then this happens. So check it out. The lake I've ridden on lots of times, it's an oval-shaped lake with a canal at the end. And the idea is that the boat can keep and maintain its speed right to the end of the course, and then you just have to get behind the boat as it goes through that canal, it turns around and comes back. Um, I knew how many tricks I could get in, I knew the lake, and as I edged in for my last trick, I didn't realize I'd eaten up that space between the shoreline. And uh, I collided with the shoreline that was covered in rocks. Um, I hit the rocks over 30 miles an hour. The boat speed is going 23, and on edge, you're, they say you can even double the speed, so maybe faster. Uh, I had my skull broken in 13 places, broke my jaw clean on both sides. I had a piece of rebar go through the back of my leg. Uh, dislocated my hip, broke my tailbone, crushed my hand. And in that recovery, I learned of a personal God that I had never seen, that I couldn't just read about, but I had to experience. And and guys, I'm going to put some pictures up today that might be a little bit graphic, but they help tell my story. So this was the position I was in when I crushed my skull. And Don't get me wrong, I was super thankful to be alive. I was very thankful to be alive. Uh, The doctors told me that I had crushed everything above and below this pressure point in your temple, and a blow to the head half that hard should have killed me or caused severe brain damage. And I was thankful to be alive, but my whole world was flipped upside down. And even though I was moving towards ministry, I didn't realize that I still relied so much on my side of the work. But when I was in this position, learning to walk again with a walker, learning uh, to figure out a way to provide for this amazing wife I had and drowning in medical bills and all these huge challenges, I looked at this verse so differently. You know, Paul's dealing with um, Paul's dealing with this thorn in his flesh, and he doesn't tell us what it is. But he asks. He says three times, "I pleaded with God to take it away," and he says, "But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you.'" For my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, well, therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weakness. And what I saw is that it's not that we're weak and God's like, hmm, I'll help you out a little bit. You're in this position. But that the greater the gap was between my ability and these amazing situations that were taking care of us where we were at, the more evident it was that this was God's work and this was God's power. And I knew in my heart I would never, you only get, what, one near-death accident in life, right? <laughs> I mean, is that fair? So I knew I'd never face anything like that again or anything that hard. Uh, but I had to hold on to this forever because I was eight months later physically recovered completely, but spiritually and emotionally 
change forever. But little did I know it was just preparing me for the storm ahead, for the situation that would forever change my life. I was trimming trees at a local church. One minute, I was up in this high-reach bucket we'd rented, and next, I was waking up from a coma. A lot of people ask what that moment's like, and I wake up. What happened? Where am I? Matt, you've been electrocuted. Electrocuted? I was shocked. (laughs) Oh, real cool. Laugh at the burn victim, guys. (laughs) I have a little bit of a sick sense of humor. Sorry, guys. Um, But no, nearly uh, 12 to 20,000 volts is a three-phase line. So whether it was two or three involved, arced over nearly 20 feet through the air and grounded directly to the metal bucket I was in, ran through my arms and chest and gave me fourth and fifth degree burns all over my upper body. Um, That's just a number. So we called the power company. That was a trailer you just saw to a short documentary that this ministry made called This Is My Story. And we said, what does 12 to 20,000 volts mean in the amperage? Like, give us something quantitative. And they called us back a few days later and said, well, how's this? The voltage you received is exactly the same as if we hooked you to six electric chairs and flipped them all on. So that's why we don't really have a statistic for why you survived. Fourth and fifth degree burns, I didn't even know what that meant. Um, I thought third degree was the worst, but fourth degree, or third degree is where it burns through the skin. Fourth is when it starts burning through the muscle, and fifth is when it starts burning the bone. Uh, fourth and fifth are almost never survivable. Uh, I had all this muscle dying in my upper body. Uh, The electricity, like I said, it ran kind of a circuit around my arms as I was holding the controls, and I had headphones on it, caught my headphone wire, went down my leg, burned my iPhone and my leg right here. I have a little Apple symbol burned in, get a little royalty. (laughs) (laughs) But it melted my iPhone and my leg. Uh, Then it went up the headphone uh, wires. My earbuds exploded. I got two sets of skin grafts in my ears. And then it exited through the top of my head and the front and the back. So the doctors were really upfront with my family. They said, look, there is no brain activity. If he comes out of this coma, if he ever somehow lives, he's not Matt, um, but God. But what God can do. My wife was... In his testimony. No, it'll keep going. It'll keep going. I'm going to show you another little clip at the end of it, but... um, I mean, I didn't even know what fourth and fifth degree burns. That's crazy. Um, so when we talk about the physical life impacting the spiritual, he got wrecked, right? And six electric chairs, like that's, that's insane, you know? And then you, and then you think about his scenario and you go like, it's a guy trying to get into ministry who could easily question God at this moment and be like, why are you doing this? Like, what's up? Like, I don't deserve this. I'm trying to do everything I can to try and glorify you through my life, going to seminary. He could easily ask those kind of questions, but you've, I've never heard him ask those questions. And my buddy Jason's really good friends with him and, and just journeyed with him and all this and has seen um, the faith, the spirituality that Matt has is amazing. And it's inspiring because 
the physical situations that he's been through that are miracles, like back-to-back miracles. But then he has this approach that I, I think Jesus hits at here is like this forgiveness of sins and this idea that this, our spirituality is most important. And he says the most important one, he answers, is that you love the Lord your God. The Lord is one. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that God is central to everything. God is central before anything happens, if anything happens, all that kind of stuff, that it's just like God is central. And so some of you might be asking this question, and he answers it. So here it goes. And you may say, Matt, that's, that's really great to have that eternal view. But what about now? What about today? What about what is fair? Is, why do you, let's answer the age-old question. Why do bad things happen to quote-unquote good people? Well, let's define fair. Fair is cause and effect. You put your hand on a stove and it's burnt. You don't say, Lord, why are you burning my hand? No, that's okay because that's fair. Why is it that when we read scripture, it says the wages of sin is death, but who have sinned all? So, so fair is we're not having this conversation. So I like to say we serve an unfair God and you know, don't throw me off stage, just hear me out. Why is it that the best doctors were wrong again and again and again? Why did they say not if, but when your kidneys fail? Not is there heart damage? How bad is it? They were sure my arms were coming off. Sure the brain damage was severe. Sure that they were keeping me comfortable until I died. Why were the best doctors wrong again and again and again? Why? Because we serve an unfair God who doesn't want to see us broken by our challenges, but he steps in this world and says, this is still my people. This is still my world, and I have the last say. That's the God we serve, who can turn our obstacles and opportunities, take us from bitter to better, and use our misery for his ministry. That's our God. I don't know what you're facing. I wear my scars on my arms for the whole world to see, but some of the deepest scars that you might have carried in today are unseen. But God sees him, and he's standing there, and he wants to work in it. He's standing at the door knocking, saying, let me walk through this with you. Let me use what you're going through to reach people around you. And God has been using his life in powerful ways. And I believe that God wants to use our lives as well. Um, That what happens physically in our world, either to us or to others, is opportunity for us to step in and show that God has that kind of strength and that kind of power And that we have opportunity to be hands and feet, opportunity to be the blessing that represents God in the world that we live in. Um, And the renewal that I believe Jesus does in this guy's life, he wants to do in our lives. It's not something that's 2,000 years ago that we're disconnected to that doesn't exist anymore. This is a Holy Spirit that works here and now, that wants to transform us. And then use us to be the kind of people that go and help others. That are like the four friends that bring their friend and rip the roof off and bring them to Jesus. Um, So when we talk about the physical and the spiritual, I believe that we have to start with the spiritual because that gives us the vision to move out of. When we don't have faith, when we have moments that we're like, I don't know how we're going to solve this. When you talk about world issues that go on in our globe right now, and you go, I don't know how God's going to solve that. 
when we have a vision that we know that Jesus wants to intercede, then we are going to be the people that are going to step in and do that. We are going to be the ones that are going to go, I don't know how, but I'm going to go and I'm going to be a part of it. I'm going to step in because I have a vision that's bigger than what the Pharisees had, bigger than what the, the teachers of the law had there. And so does God work physically or spiritually? Yes. <laughs> that's the answer. Um, he does both. Does, does he want us to go feed people in Haiti or bring the gospel? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes to all of it, right? Um, now let's allow Jesus to do this deeper work in our hearts. Let's not look out there, but say, what is God doing here? Because then he's going to work out of you. He's going to use your life to then be a blessing. He's going to work in your life to bring healing because it starts with us and then it's going to go out into the places that we live. Um, so I guess what I want to say is let's allow our vision of Jesus to drive us to be the transformed disciples he invites us to be. Because he invites us into this. He doesn't force us to do this. There's plenty of people that are doing whatever they want to do. We have a choice every week to do whatever we want to do. But he invites us, this beautiful invitation, to live this way that is distinct, that is different. And, and so I want to close with this prayer. I'm not going to close with the one that we normally do. Um, but this prayer that hopefully will orient our hearts and give us words for the things that I think are in my heart that I long for, the kind of vision that I want, um, that I believe Jesus has for us. So disturb us, O Lord, when we're too, too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have come true because we dream too little, because we sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, O Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the water of life. When having fallen in love with time, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of heaven to grow dim. There's that vision. Stir us, O Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture into wider seas where storms show thy mastery, where losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. In the name of him, who pushed back the horizons of our hopes and invite the brave to follow and invited the brave to follow. That's the kind of heart I want. That's the kind of uh, vision I think Jesus has for us that we continue to have that vision of heaven, of eternity that is big, that wants to transform life. So grace and peace as you guys live into this. And I look forward to discussing this more in life group and unpacking physical and spiritual. I believe they're connected and I believe it starts with spiritual. Peace.